message is about the five-fold ministry. And uh, you'll see my particular take and my slant on it today is to show you that the five-fold ministry reveals five major needs in your life and ministers precisely to each and every one of those needs because apostles will minister to a need that you have in your daily life and also in your church life together in community. Prophets do the same thing. Evangelists do the same thing. Pastors and teachers, they also do the same thing. So this is an intensely personal message which is going to help you take your place in your life as a Christian and to live for Jesus in every situation and circumstance and beyond that, to shine for Jesus. So it all goes back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 16 through to verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say this to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of death, shall not prevail against it. Now, over the page into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and onwards, here we have the Apostle Paul describing what Jesus did, perhaps following his death and resurrection, the single most important thing that Jesus did to fulfill what he's just described about building his church. Ephesians 4 verse 11 and says, And he himself, that is the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Christ, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love." Here we see that as believers equipped through the ministry of the fivefold ministry of Christ, equipped by those ministries, we are being built up into unity, built up into 
the revelatory full knowledge of the Son of God, shaped and formed to become like Jesus, not just individually, but corporately, a mature man ready to take on the Great Commission to see our world one for Christ, and also together, equipped by this ministry, we have a job to do involved in building up the body of Christ and for its growth and development. I wonder this morning if you came in with a keen understanding of your sense of responsibility concerning the growth of the church. I wonder if you thought about that. I wonder if you thought, well, no, actually, it's not my job. I'm a consumer. I, I come and enjoy. I come and I'm blessed. And it's wonderful that you do come. I never underestimate the physical challenge every Sunday to get out of bed, even the 9 o'clock service, 11 o'clock's a little bit easier, but not that much easier. Uh, you get out of bed on a cold winter's morning and say, I'm going to go and worship together with other people in the house of God. I never underestimate that. It is one of the greatest uh, commitments that you can make to be a regular attender at the house of prayer. Very significant. Beyond that, not just to be an attender, but to be a participator, to be tied up and knitted into the body of Christ so that when the service on Sunday is over, church is not over for another week. In fact, it only just begins because church is a 24-7 relationship with Christ and with one another. He is our head and we are his body. That's why in this apostolic ministry, we have established a strategy and a, uh, a, a kind of a, a structure which will enable you to be a full-on believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ 24-7, seven days a week through our cell ministry. So we are very pleased that so many of you participate in that. I want more and more so that we could have 100% mobilization of the body of Christ. But where does it all begin, this challenge about church building? And I want to persuade you that before the end of this service, you will be convinced that Jesus has a part for you to play in this great declaration. Way back in Matthew 16, we have the incident that took place in the Gospels at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, Jesus begins by gathering his disciples around him and said, who are people saying that I am? I hear a lot of talk. What are they saying about me? And uh, so the response comes. Some say you were this prophet. Some say you were that prophet, Elijah, uh, you know, I, whatever. And, and, and now, you know, or just one of the other prophets. And so far, so good. It's not so controversial to claim that Jesus Christ is a prophet. Many major religions would acknowledge that. However, where they part company with true believers in Christ is that they don't follow his teaching. If Jesus is the great prophet, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Then let's follow him. If you believe he's a prophet, you've got to believe in his Father because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the eternal Son of the eternal Father and the only way into the presence of God. So if you want to claim Jesus is a prophet, then at least follow his prophecy and follow his revelation. But no, they will say, Jesus is a prophet, just one of a series, one of many. When Jesus said, okay, well, that's what they're saying. What do you say? Simon Peter, who is very often a spokesperson uh, for, for the apostles. I don't know that he actually thought very much. He just opened his mouth. But this time, the Father filled it. 
The Father filled it with a revelation. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed. You didn't work this out for yourself. This is my Father's revelation. And indeed, if any of us carry the true knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, ultimately, we depend on the Father to have made him known. So this means that Christianity is built by revelation. And I believe that's what Jesus really meant when he said, you're Peter, and on this rock, not you, not little pebble Peter, but you, the confession that you have made, speaks of a revelation coming from my Father, and it's this revelation that is the way Jesus builds the church. But notice he goes on to say, I will build my church. Very interesting statement. Many people who are concerned about church growth, chiefly church leaders, they want to grow a big church, and uh, they interpret this to mean Jesus is going to build my church. No, 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 no. He didn't say, I will build your church. He said, I will build my church. And he certainly did not say, you will build your church. So in other words, till we get back to understand that Jesus Christ is the head and he is the real church builder, this is his promise and this is his primary agenda, we will be nowhere in our lives. If Jesus himself says, this is what I'm involved in, this is what I'm about, this is what I am going to do, I am going to build my church and it's going to be successful. And people today say, well, it's not so successful in Western Europe. Actually, the truth is it is. Do you know that? What is crumbling in Western Europe is not the true church of Jesus Christ, but a nominal exter external version of Christianity. The tragedy is most people around us have rejected Christianity, or so they think, but actually they haven't. They've rejected a false version, a traditional version, a watered-down version, a liberal version, a barely-believing version. We need to stand up with the robust body of Christ, which is a going and growing concern in Western Europe. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ, the real church of Jesus Christ, is growing all over the world and even here in Western Europe. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he is putting this at the top of the agenda. And it must also be at the top of our agenda. Are you a church builder with Jesus today? Okay, all right. You, didn't, you, you thought I was preaching and not asking a question. All right. But by the end of this service, I want you to be convinced that you are a church builder and you are called to build the church. And the response with Jesus, I'll come to this in a minute because I've got to make a very important distinction here. Jesus, it's Jesus' job. We are involved in some wonderful way. But the important thing is to carry that as a responsibility. If I'm going to partner with Jesus, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to be a church builder. I need to realize that this is a major call upon my life. In fact, there is nothing more important to do than build the church of Jesus, see the church grow, take my place in the body of Christ, and be responsible for the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. Do you really carry that responsibility with you? Do you say, I am responsible for the growth of Kensington Temple? Do you actually believe that? Well, this is a Bible view. Now, the distinction I wanted to make was Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what I'm going to do. So Jesus, if that's what you're going to do, what are we going to do? What do you want us to do? 
And he answered that question at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. Matthew 28 says, you make disciples. Ah, that's our job description. That's our job description in the kingdom of God. Make disciples. Now, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. So first of all, you need to be a disciple. Just because you are a believer in Christ doesn't mean to say that you really are very far along the line in terms of discipleship. The tragedy today is that we have to convert Christians into disciples. It wasn't like that in the beginning. In the beginning, it was the disciples who were first called Christians at Antioch. Uh, now today, we have people who call themselves Christians, but who are not really following the Lord. So one of the first things we want to do when we get hold of your life here in Kensington Temple is to begin to shape it so that you become a real disciple of Jesus Christ. Every area of your life is submitted to His Lordship. Every area of your life is based on this principle, I will follow Him. I will obey Him. I will follow Him. The Holy Spirit is helping me to become like Him. But you don't leave it there. Because he said, don't just be disciples, but make disciples. So you are called not just to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker. And those two things we focus on in the day-to-day -day ministry in ourselves as well as in our larger gatherings. So how does this happen? The interesting thing about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 is that it mentions five ministries. Five ministries. Apostles. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we should have a five-fold ministry, not just a one-fold ministry. Traditional church has handed us down a pattern of ministry in which two things are fundamentally contrary to the New Testament. The first is that we have a basic one-fold ministry. We take pastor and teacher Roll them together, and so we have a pastor-teacher who is in charge of the church, who is running the ministry, and everything is controlled and directed by a pastor-teacher ministry. Now, pastoral and teaching ministries are very important, and we need them, but there's at least three others that are neglected if we just focus on pastor-teacher. One of the things that I'm working so hard in our denomination is to continue to create awareness that we need to recognize not just pastors, but evangelists and prophets and apostles and to integrate them into a real ministry of which is fivefold. Our denominational statement of faith declares that we believe the fivefold ministry, but we need to see it in action more and more and more. So the first thing is to realize that it's not a one-fold ministry, but a five-fold ministry. And the second thing is to understand the real purpose of these ministries. These ministries don't exist for themselves. Here I, here I am. I'm one of the big five. I'm not talking about the wild animals that you find in Mabula Park in South Africa. I'm talking about the big five, the apostle, prophet, and so on. I'm one of them, and I'm a big minister. You come and listen to me, and when you listen to me, I fulfilled my ministry, and you're watching me, you're listening to me, and that's as it should be. No! The purpose of the fivefold ministry is beyond themselves. Ephesians 4 verse 11 tells us the big five, but goes on in verse 12 to tell us what they are there for. To the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What? The saints are to do the ministry. 
Now, before you think the word saint means you have a picture, and every time somebody takes a picture of you, it's a halo over your head. And only those who qualify, you know, as, as, as very special people are saints. The Bible word saint means a believer, a believer in Christ, the people of God, a child of God. So if you are a believer in Christ, you are in the ministry. Because the ministry of Christ is done by the body of Christ. There is a leadership function. We've been talking about them today. Apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. Only some are separated to that ministry. But their role is to prepare you that you might take your place in the body of Christ and then function together out there in the world to serve Christ as the church of Jesus Christ. Many pastors are so desperate for helpers in the church that they only preach about doing church work. And so they will say, you've got to serve Jesus. Oh, by the way, we need people to hoover the carpet. You've got to serve Jesus. We need people to make tea. We've got to serve Jesus. We need stewards. We need volunteers. And this is right and excellent because what you see today in front of you is the product, very largely, of dedicated voluntary people who take care of responsibilities in the building every day of the week. And we just get, let's give thanks to Jesus for those people. But that is not what the ministry is. It's part of it. See, I don't want so much to give you a job in the church. I don't want you just to do church work. I want the church at work in the world. That's what it is, to send out the body of Christ to be his flesh and blood representatives today, for that is who we are as the body of Christ. So, here's the program. Jesus says, I'm building the church, and I've prepared five ministries. I had them all. You need them all. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and they will minister to you so that you will rise up under apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, and teaching anointing to represent me to the world. That's all there is to it. That's the big program. That's the big idea. That's what we're involved in. You say, but you know, you don't understand. I'm a doctor. Well, I'm a dentist. Or I'm a, we need doctors and dentists, so bless you, whoever you are. Uh, okay, I'm a school teacher, I'm a mother, I'm, I'm a father. This is my real work. No, 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 no. Your occupation is not your true vocation. Your occupation is only the location of your true vocation. Okay, your occupation is the location of your true vocation. Your true vocation is to represent Christ and to minister for Christ. And if you are a doctor, well, you, you, know, you know where to begin. Not only are you serving him by doing that job which is useful and needed in society, but he will put you in the right place at the right time and take you to places where only you can minister to those people around you. It's a platform for who you are in Christ. Amen and amen. So the first thing that this ministry will teach you today is you need all of these five so that you can rise up and fulfill your purpose and your destiny. And if you are not in a church, well, of course, you are in a church, so it doesn't apply to you. But if you happen to be not in a church where the five-fold ministry was functioning, you would be at a loss. You would be in lack in your life. So we thank God 
for the five-fold ministry that operates in this church. And I say around our own team, my immediate team, even talking amongst the full-time paid workers in the church, we have all of the big five. They are there. Hallelujah. In the wider body of my primary 12 and in the 144 and Amanda's as well, we have all of them. And even right down to the cells, even at cellular level, we encourage people to acknowledge one another, not just because they are the same, have the same ministry, but because there are complementary ministers in the cells. So a cell leader who might be an evangelist by gifting will need to have around him or her people who are pastoral. I mean, if you're just, just an evangelist on their own, I mean, one evangelist said to me, I'll catch him, you clean him up. I said, okay, all right, you catch him, we'll clean them up. But it's a partnership, isn't it? And so you might have a good pastoral ministry represented in the cell. You might have a good uh, evangelistic ministry. What about a prophetic ministry? What about an apostolic ministry? We need all of them so that we can function. So that's our corporate ap approach to all of this. But I want to focus now in the time that's remaining on how this will bless you and develop you individually in your own life. I decided to do that, although I'm running the risk that you'll just take this personally and you'll just think it's about you and you alone. No, I think I've established enough that you need to find your place in the body of Christ to serve the body of Christ and to work together to reach the world. I think I've established that. But where I'm really, really excited today is to share with you how this is going to make a difference in your life, in your family, in your workplace, and so on. Okay, let's begin with the first one, apostle. And, um, you know, I've got a kind of key word that links with each of these five for this morning's message. It doesn't tell you the whole story, but it gives you a good idea. And bearing in mind that I can only give you a summary in this message today for the time that I have available I do have a book on it, The Five-Fold Ministry, and I'd like you to get it to pick up on more of what I'm saying, but I chose rather to give a one-off uh, exhortative message today rather than a long 25-week series on it. You might be very relieved about that, but anyway, uh, your penalty for that is to buy the book and read and study on your own. But when we talk, talk about apostleship, the key word for me is foundation, foundation. The illustrative screen behind me is a rather glorious picture, a painting of Jesus handing the keys over, the keys of the kingdom over to Peter. And of course, when we read the Bible carefully, this was not just to Peter, the keys weren't just given to him, they were given to all his early apostles. And we see that that first generation of apostles, the 12 of them, we know that Judas betrayed Jesus and he was replaced by Matthias. And we know the apostle Paul came along with very much that same anointing that belongs to that unique group of people, the first generation of apostles who carried inspiration from the Holy Spirit to give us the scriptures that we have, and they spoke with infallible apostolic and prophetic utterance, and because of that, out of their work, the Bible came into being, the New Testament, and so for us now, our authoritative, infallible word comes from scripture and Scripture alone. Okay, so that first generation of apostleship has passed away. It's still with us today, the fruit of it in the Word of God. So today, apostles are never going to be called to write fresh Scriptures. There is no 
kind of loose leaf version of the Bible, so you leave a few loose leaves at the end to put in some extra revelations, so you add to your Bible. That is not the case. Every single heretical teaching, every cult teaching tries to add to the Bible and give infallible utterances when this book is a closed book. You can only open it because it's closed. You can only get authority from it because it is a completed book. So I'm not speaking about that level of apostleship. It was very unique to the first generation. However, in this passage in Ephesians 4, we see there's an ongoing apostleship because all of these ministries are active in the church until the very end, until the end time church comes and we are mature and the, the, the whole of the job is done. So there is a work of apostleship that continues to this very day. And what is that work? I would say, in a word, it's foundation. Foundation. Apostolic foundation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 20 that the whole of the church is built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the, the cornerstone. Now, what this means is there is a revelation that we use, we don't add to it. However, the apostolic anointing today is the ability to take this truth, apostolic truth concerning who Christ is is and the gospel and the revelation of God and to lay that revelation as a firm foundation in your life so that you are stable as a believer. Kensington Temple Christians should never be shaken. Kensington Temple believers should never be knocked off course because we have an apostolic ability and foundation to give you a firm foundation that will mean you are rock-like and that you, nobody can conquer you. Nobody can push you over. Nobody can throw you off course because you are rooted and grounded on a firm apostolic foundation with the Word of God being presented under apostolic anointing and with apostolic authority. But it's not just about foundation. Foundation isn't there just to give stability. Foundation is also there to give shape. And that's just quite logical. When a foundation is laid, it is laid along the shape of the building that is to come. And so when the next people come along to build, they build on that foundation. They don't build somewhere else. You don't lay a foundation here and build your house over there. You build on the foundation. That's why foundation is so important. We spend a lot of time, in fact, it's a minimum of six months for every person who comes to Christ. That is, if they do it daily, it's a minimum of six months to get to the place where they are rooted and grounded in our encounter program, pre-encounter, encounter, and post-encounter, our living free program. It's about establishing you in the faith on that foundation so that you can go and build the rest of your life on that foundation. So your foundation determines the shape of the building. It determines the structure. And it's so important that you have an apostolic foundation in your life so that you will know where to build. And the shape that you build, what you do with your life, will depend on that foundation. 
And this is so important in your daily life. It means that if you are built on a strong foundation, an apostolic foundation, nothing is going to shift you. An earthquake may come, a flood may come, but your house will stand because you are on an apostolic foundation. Also, you will be relevant and contemporary. One of the reasons why we need apostles today is because we need that foundation laid in our 21st century generation. So in other words, this is the ability to take unchanging, timeless truths and present them in a way that is relevant to the needs of our generation. This means that you'll be relevant and contemporary. So when you go to work, you will talk like a 21st century believer, true to the Word of God, but making connection with the people around you. You will have the insight into what is happening in the spiritual realm, in your life, your family, your nation, your workplace. You will have a wisdom that goes beyond normal wisdom and understanding, and you will rise to positions of prominence because you will have an understanding that is beyond your years, beyond your peers, and even beyond your pay grade, and maybe they will correct that in your life. Amen and amen. Also, one of the big ministries and abilities of apostleship is creative innovation. You're never satisfied to be where you are. I'm not saying that you're discontent, but you are always looking to the regions beyond. You're wanting to break loose. You're wanting to extend. You're wanting to develop. You're wanting to innovate. You're wanting to initiate. And this is the spirit that operates in an apostolic church. In an apostolic church, we will have people who are at the forefront, champions of business and industry, economics and finance, science and so on, because we are the creative thinkers. We are the people whom God has raised up to be relevant and to break down the barriers in our world so that Christ may flourish in us and through us. Apostolic ministry. And under that anointing, if you understand it, you will be equipped as a member of the body of Christ to be an apostolic Christian, an apostolic believer, and they are rare in today's world. That's why you need to be excited about being in Kensington Temple and being under apostolic ministry. The next ministry is that of the prophet. Now, if the key word for apostleship is foundation then the key word for prophetic ministry is direction. Direction. Now, what I'm going to say applies to sighted people. Miles uh, Hilton Barber lost his sight, and he sees a whole lot more than many people who've got physical sight. But, so, but generally speaking, sight is necessary if you're going to choose the right direction. That's why the, your eyes are in the front of your head. If you're a school teacher, mum, or pastor, you need eyes in the back of your head, but that's another sermon. All right. Your eyes in the front of your head because you look where you're going. Without vision, there can be no direction. And without prophetic revelation, there can be no vision. And I go to many churches, and I can tell in the first five minutes, if I go into a new place, I can tell in the first five minutes whether this church is operating under prophetic anointing or not. Because without prophetic anointing, there is no direction. 
The church just lives one day at a time, going through life, going through the motions. But a church of vision is a church that begins to see what God sees, that knows ahead of time what the devil is getting up to. A church that is ahead of the curve because the prophets are there ministering and speaking and giving direction. Now, of course, every prophecy must be tested. Don't expect anybody to walk up to you and say, thus says the Lord. You say, well, I better bow down and worship this. No, no, no. Test everything. The apostle Paul says, test all things and hold on to what is good. Meaning, not everything that people claim is a word from God is a word from God. I usually say, you're prophesying to me. What, would you, what did you have last night? Cheese on pizza? I just, sometimes they give you pizza prophecies, you know, it's nothing to do with Jesus, it's just they, they've just got this, had a, had a wild night, and they, and they take it out on you. No, no, so you check it, check it out always. And also, no prophet has the right or authority to say, you've got to do this. Somebody starts commanding you prophetically, say, listen, you better, you better get back to the Bible, Mr. Prophet, and work out where you belong in the body of Christ. You don't direct through your prophecies. You're not, this is the spirit of control, which leads to witchcraft. It is not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, a prophetic word. Go ahead. You've got to clap fast because I'm speaking fast. All right. So, what that means is that we receive prophetic ministry and prophetic revelation, and we test it. Not just whether this is truly a word from the Lord, but we also see what how we should interpret it, use it, apply it, and so on. So it is a really serious matter, and we take it seriously in this church. Also, you need to know that every one of these ministries, they are helping you develop those same characteristics. So an apostolic ministry will enable you to become an apostolic believer. And a prophetic ministry will enable you to become a prophetic believer. So that the, one of the chief works of the prophet is to teach you how to hear from God yourself. Amen? You have the Holy Spirit. So the prophet will say, I want to teach you people how to hear God. How to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I can't think of many things more important in life than learning to recognize the voice of God. Many people come and say, well, I don't know, is this me or is this my emotions or is this the devil? I don't know. But you've got to get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we are not called to live in a, in, in a world where we don't hear God's voice. We are to be so acutely trained and so acutely sensitized to the voice of God that we will recognize it anywhere. And we will know what God is telling us to do. And we will obey that voice. And so this is very necessary. Business people, I'm quite sure you would enjoy knowing stuff that your business competitors do not know. Why? Because you got on your knees. You said, God, God. One lady, a prophet, prophetic lady, she says, you know, I was prophesying about something was going to take place economically in a certain nation. And nobody was believing me. And she said to all these people, you should invest in this place because this is what's going to happen. And they all said, oh, crazy woman, crazy woman. And so she said, well, they aren't going to invest. Well, I will invest. So she put her money where her prophetic revelation was, and God blessed her enormously. Now, I'm not saying you should develop this to the point of knowing national lottery winners in advance. <laughs> okay? No, 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 no. That's not, 
That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying being in touch with the present day voice of the Holy Spirit is so important for daily life. How even to pray for your kids? How could you pray for your kids if you don't have prophetic revelation? I mean, it's an incredible discipline to bring up children. How to pray in a way that will bring them to the nurture and fullness of Christ? How would you do that without the wisdom of God? Oh, you need the prophetic anointing. Apostle, prophet. Now we come to evangelist. Apostleship, the key word is, let's try it again. Apostleship, the key word is foundation. Prophetic ministry, key word is direction. The key word for evangelistic ministry is attraction. I'm getting it in the same form, but anyway, attraction. What this means is that the, the evangelist is the attraction, attracting people to Christ through preaching of the gospel and demonstrating Christ. And the evangelistic ministry should make you attractive for Christ in the world. And this is not just that, oh, the evangelist, it's your job. Let's bring another evangelist to town to do what we aren't doing ourselves. Okay, evangelists do lead people to Christ. And they are the most effective at it. No doubt about that. But that's not their only job. They are also called to train you and equip you to evangelize. And we are all called to evangelize. Lawrence Sizzle really is a, has a teaching ministry, but he uses that to evangelistic effect whenever he can. 8,000 people have come to Christ. He doesn't hold evangelistic crusades. He holds seminars and conferences and debates on creation versus evolution. And as a result of that, people come to Christ. And he's going to be teaching this afternoon. I want to read just a paragraph that he wrote in last month's Revival Times in anticipation of this. He said, it is becoming more and more difficult to be a Jesus-believing, Bible-quoting Christian without meeting up with some real opposition due to the fact that many words have been redefined to suit the popular cultural mentality. Sin no longer means sin. Everybody's faith is okay. Nobody is supposed to be right or wrong. And everybody does what is good in their own eyes. And then he talks about the book of Judges, when they got in a mess, when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Can you imagine what happens when people start doing what is evil in their eyes? When even when you just do what you think is right in your own eyes, you end up with all the mess of the book of Judges. Read it for yourself and see. So he will be equipping us to be bet in a better place to give the answer and the approach of evangelism today without compromising the Bible or compromising the revelation of God, but doing it in a, in a way that connects with modern people. And this is so important. And so don't miss that today. So evangelists are there to help you, to give you this desire and ability and training and skill to reach people for Christ. So you need to get on every possible evangelism course that you can get. We have several operating in the church during the revival times. Be part of the cell and make sure that in your cell you have a strong emphasis on evangelism and winning the lost, being pre prepared and trained and equipped to come to uh, lead people to Christ through the prayer of three. Uh, this week I've had the most wonderful time with somebody that I have been working on and working with for more than eight years. Eight years. Eight years, and this week, breakthrough. This week, this man is full on for Jesus Christ. Give Jesus a big praise. It's so wonderful. That's the difference sometimes between friendship evangelism and street work. 
street work, you go out and only the ripe fruit come to you. Only the ripe fruit. Because they just say, he's an idiot and walk past. But anybody that stops and talks to you, we have found that 50% of people who are interested enough to stop and talk give their lives to Christ on the street. 50% of them. Sometimes they stop and talk because they're angry. Sometimes they stop and talk because they're hungry. So that kind of evangelism, you can get a lot of fruit quickly. But the difficulty is, is to make sure that that fruit remains and you draw them into the fellowship of the church. Friendship evangelism is evangelizing people with whom you're in regular contact. And it is a, a slightly different thing. You, you, you can't just walk in, let's ha come around to my house for a dinner and instead of food, you give them Holy Communion and say, now before you take this, before you take this, you need to receive Christ as your personal savior. And friendship evangelism is about loving people whether they accept Christ or not. One day I had nine texts from somebody. In, in a, I was in a meeting, nine texts, text, 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 text. And I said to the people around me, I said, I'm just so fed up with this. Why did he just give his life to Christ and leave me in peace? Nine texts. It takes time. It takes energy. And sometimes it takes years. But the fruit needs to ripen. But don't be, don't be discouraged. I'm so happy. I, I'm so glad I never gave up. Oh. After one year, after two years, eight years, and uh, the work has only just begun. Because once the baby's born, well, that's when the real work begins, isn't it? So I don't know, another eight years, I guess, ahead. <laughs> and, but I do it because I love God. I do it because I love people. I do it because one of the most wonderful things of, of all is to lead somebody to Christ. And you, you just talk to the people who travel with me, people who are with me. I'm always talking, always talking about Christ. So on our Christmas dinner, we had a Christmas dinner uh, last Thursday because Christmas is too busy. So we have a Christmas dinner uh, a month and a half in advance. And, and the staff were around and we had this Christmas dinner. And we're in a hotel and we were being served by different waiters. And there was this man, tall man, looked like a Russian, turned out to be a Lithuanian. And so I said, oh, it's great. We have a Lithuanian church. He's now linked up with the Lithuanian church. Simply because I was listening to the Holy Spirit and I wasn't just there to enjoy the Christmas turkey. I was there as a representative of the King of Kings to speak out and to be ready to be used by the Holy Spirit on every single occasion. I tell you, this is the most exciting lifestyle. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Evangelists reaching out. And that's when you will understand why God has placed you where he has placed you. Many stories come of people, oh, I asked Jesus to heal me, and I wasn't healed. I had to go and have an operation, and I think God let me down, but I led five people to Jesus in the hospital. I wonder why I was there. Hello? Hello? In other words, it's more important that you lead people to Jesus than every single one of your other prayers are answered. I don't want you to be disbelieving in terms of healing and blessing, but I'll tell you, this is going to make more sense of your life than anything else. God put you in that place with that difficult boss, with that very bad pay rate, and with all those awkward people just for one person. He put you there for that. Where are you now? Where he has placed you. You might not feel comfortable. You might say, I wish that God would beam me up out of here. Please. Please, God, be Scotty just for one day. Beam me out. Because I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Get me out of here. I'm surrounded by snakes and scorpions and serpents. We'll trample on them in the name of Jesus Christ. 
You are there in awkward, difficult circumstances, not for your comfort or prosperity merely. You are there to win men and women for Jesus. We need a generation of people who are spirit-filled, who are shaped by the five-fold ministry, who know how to make their stand for Jesus in today's generation. Amen and amen. amen. Where are we up to now? Prophetic direction, evangelistic attraction, pastoral correction. No, I'll use another one. Pastoral protection. How would you like that? To put all the pastoral ministry with one heading that ends with I-O-N, protection. Meaning that the pastoral ministry builds you up, makes you strong, protects you from the wolves, feeds you, protects you from hunger, malnutrition, spiritually cares for you so that you are safe and protected. And this is wonderful. The pastoral ministry is like the loving arms of the good shepherd around you. Amen. Protection. And so, it's so important that you are therefore linked, really linked in spiritually, organically committed to the church of Jesus Christ in one of its expressions. I mean, like, it isn't about you just visit all the churches and float around. You actually need to be connected somewhere. Because then you come under the pastoral care and nurture and authority of this God-given pastoral ministry. And we structure our church pastorally I have never been as impressed with our pastoral care structures than I am at this very moment. Because every single one of you have the opportunity for every need of yours to be brought before pastoral ministry under the direct authority and supervision of this house to be ministered to. Cell leaders, they are your first pastoral port of call. In other words, sickness, problems, whatever. Your cell leader, cell leaders, you're going to love me for this. Your door is open 24 hours a day. Because <laughs> it's impossible for a handful of people who happen to stand at the front to do this with everybody all the time. You'd lose the will to live by Wednesday if you had to take all that on. And God has given us strategies, like he gave to Moses, to break the church down into groups of people and put people who have some responsibility to share that responsibility and to train people for that. But it doesn't end at the, pastor, at the cell leader's door because there are sometimes issues and difficulties that go beyond the, the abilities and experience of regular, pastor, uh, regular cell leaders. That's why we have the people who are taking care of the cell leaders, the primary leaders, and beyond that, our full-time pastoral team. Dudley Hansels does an absolutely amazing job, and so does all his de department, ensuring that all the pastoral care needs are met in the church. So you should never, ever be at home on your own, not knowing where you turn to. But this is not just about caring for you. It's also about equipping you to care for one another. The real care is not just given by a handful of people, 
Real care happens as believers commit to other believers and we share together and take care of one another. We're going to be visiting this topic in the new year to make sure that every one of us is as well trained as we can be in what it means pastorally to care for people. And we come finally to the last one. So we have apostolic foundation, prophetic direction, evangelistic attraction, pastoral protection, and we have teaching, or let's use the word didactic, teaching formation. The ministry of a teacher is about formation, not just information. What a pity that many of our teaching ministries today just focus on information. And a well-known Bible teacher is usually one that knows the Bible better than anybody else around them, and knows the Hebrew and the Greek and, um, and everything, and is able to quote mass- masses of theology, and all that is very important. I understand that. We need people like that. But the real ministry of the teacher is to shape your life to be like Jesus. This is formation, to form you, to form your character. Doctrine is not just theory. Doctrine, the Bible word for it, is used of the word mold, like a mold. Uh, I know if there are Christmas parties for your kids, you might be making jelly molds. Have you ever made that? Or even, let's be more sophisticated, fish molds. You get fish, make a mold, and there it is. So it's the shape of the mold. That's what the food looks like, the shape of the mold. And so, teaching ministry, doctrine, is about shaping your life to be like Christ. The doctrine of Christ molds you to be like Christ. And it's not just an upfront pulpit ministry. It's a demonstration, the rabbinical model of teaching and shaping and correcting and demonstrating and guiding and leading. This is wonderful ministry. And when your life is shaped more and more to be like Jesus, you are going to be fruitful and tasty to the world out there. Fruitful because you're like Christ and tasty because they need the refreshing nourishment that comes out of your life because Jesus is the bread of life and he wants to manifest himself through you. And so what I want to leave you with today is an understanding of these things to see how you need them, what they can bring in your life, but also that you would crave this and you would go out of your way to seek this so that your life will be so shaped that you will take an active part in the body of Christ and together we'll be partnering with Jesus who is building his church. Amen and amen. Give Jesus a big praise. (laughs) 